If you please, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And our verses this evening are just two verses. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 19 and 20. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. I've seen it with my own eyes. You probably have as well churches that are dying, churches that are not at all enjoyable to attend in terms of their worship services, churches marked by coldness, churches that are not growing, in fact are dwindling, churches that are clearly not being blessed by God, churches where it is evident the Spirit of God is being quenched. And what inevitably characterizes such churches? I'd point to a lack of unity, fighting, turmoil, disagreements that have been allowed to grow and fester, unkind words, raised voices, giving the cold shoulder to fellow believers, sad mopey faces, accusations, controversy, opposition, quarreling. Have you ever been to a church service where you get the feeling you've walked onto a battlefield? where you sense there is no joy or peace, where people are seemingly just going through the motions of worship, heads are drooped over, people silently shuffle home after the service. You get the feeling that nobody even wants to be there. And if you've ever visited a church like that, you have no desire whatsoever to come back because who wants to step into the middle of a battle zone? And furthermore, if the people of the church are preoccupied with feuding, like I've described, there's not going to be a desire to make a visitor feel welcome. And those who are interested in the church progressing and growing aren't going to invite anybody to their church as long as the church is in disarray. After all, nobody is excited about such a church and its ministries. And likely... Hopefully, the the minister and the elders are grieved about the situation, but end up having to spend their time and energy trying to turn these things around, and the temptation can be to easily uh, turn on themselves. Their tempers are short, because after all, they and everyone else with any concern about the church are going to be in a state of distress. Because of the emotional turmoil of the minister himself, probably his his sermons suffer, and he and the elders, in order to try and bring back life into the church, may be tempted to turn to human tactics of entertainment and other gimmicks without the vital living influence of the Holy Spirit. The church becomes open to the damaging influence of Satan, including false doctrine. So what I'm describing is a downward spiral, a dying church, all due to a quenching of the Spirit. Consequently, if any church, including our church, lacks unity, joy, and peace, you can be sure that the Spirit is being quenched in some way. Perhaps the Spirit of truth is being quenched by disinterest or disregard for the truth of God's Word. This seems to be the particular problem that the Thessalonian church had, for immediately Paul follows up on the command Do not quench the spirit with the command, do not despise prophecies. Remember that the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. His presence in the church is necessary if we are going to be holy people, which means people consecrated and devoted to God like we are called to be. The word quench, meanwhile, refers literally to the putting out or extinguishing of a fire. 
Quenching the Holy Spirit thus refers to putting out the Spirit as one would put out a fire. And it's appropriate to speak of the quenching of the Holy Spirit because fire is used more than once in Scripture to symbolize the Holy Spirit and his work. Fire speaks of his work of sanctification, purifying us from sin and making us like Christ. And so to quench the Spirit is to put out or extinguish the Spirit's work of holiness. And if you and I quench the Spirit, it follows that we're not going to be growing in the image of Christ like we should be. And this is all related to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He is the one who enables the church to know and to live out the truth of God's word. It's God's word, right, being written upon our hearts that makes us like Christ, that makes us holy. And so without the vital living presence of the Spirit, sanctification and spiritual growth in and through the truth comes to a standstill. And the result can be only chaos and discontentment in the church. Without the Holy Spirit, there cannot be the unity and joy and peace which are to mark the body of Christ. And thus God warns his church of all ages, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies. The context into which Paul um, issues these commands is his final instruction to the believers at Thessalonica. Just prior to this final section, Paul has been giving instruction to the people regarding the second coming of Christ. But with the opening of verse 12, uh, with, the, the, with this, a whole new section begins. <clears throat> and here it is as if Paul tacks on some last-minute instructions that are important for the people of God. And these last verses read kind of like the P.S. of a letter. Well, looking over verses 16 through 22... We see that all of the commands are composed of these single, simple sentences. And the straightforward, concise nature of these commands conveys the fact that these commands are not optional. They come with the unquestionable authority of God and are to be obeyed. Verses 16 through 18 go together and are commands that uh, have to do with your day-to-day attitude. You are to rejoice always. You are to... uh, Give thanks in prayer to God for all things, even hardships. And if you were to pray continually as commanded, even during hardships, you would be enabled to rise above your circumstances. You would be able to give thanks and to rejoice no matter what might be happening. And then comes another section with new unrelated commands found in verses 19 through 22. And the commands of this section are like the ones before it, very concise and Straight to the point, the first, do not quench the spirit, is related, we believe, uh, to the commands that follow rather than those preceding it. And uh, this uh, fact is important in determining how you understand this quenching of the spirit. Now, it's possible, uh, it can be argued, that this command to not quench the spirit is related to the verses that are before it. Um, John Calvin is one of several Bible commentators who looks at it this way. Uh, Remember that in the previous verses, we have been told to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. And Calvin says that if you do not pray correctly, that is, if you do not pray with thanksgiving and with joy, you will quench the Spirit. The danger, according to Calvin, is that if you fail to be thankful to God in all things, you will lose the enlightening influence of the Spirit. 
I believe, as many others do, that this command to not quench the spirit is really directly related to the verses that follow it and really does not have a relationship with the verses preceding it. And um, I come to this conclusion for several reasons. First of all, I don't believe, like Calvin does, that the sin of ingratitude quenches the spirit. Um, Second, I do believe that despising prophecies is a quenching of the spirit and is especially what Paul has in mind. What I think is helpful in making a proper interpretation here is to remember that Scripture speaks not only about quenching the spirit, but also talks about grieving the spirit. So Ephesians 4.30 says, uh, read that earlier, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I believe that the sin of ingratitude of which Calvin spoke, um, I believe that that sin and really every other sin grieves the Holy Spirit. When there is sin in your life and through it you bring dishonor upon the holy name of God, the Holy Spirit is hurt or grieved by that. And thus to grieve the Spirit means simply doing sinful things which make him unhappy. On the other hand, quenching the Spirit is something altogether different. To quench the Spirit means to actually hinder or stifle or obstruct the work of the Spirit. And that this commandment is written in the Greek in a plural form to the whole church and not just to individuals, tells us that this quenching is something that affects the whole church. If every sin quenched the Spirit's work, then we as individual Christians and as a church, as a body of believers, would never have the Holy Spirit at work in us and among us. So in some, we are led to recognize that the quenching spoken of here is due to some specific church-related problem that directly hinders the Spirit's work. This command to stop quenching the Spirit is a call to the Christians of Thessalonica to stop doing something that they are presently doing. The very moment that Paul is writing these words, they are doing something to hinder the Spirit's work in their midst. And while the relationship of this command with the preceding verses is shaky at best, it does fit rather logically with the commands that follow, and specifically with the command that immediately follows, do not despise prophecies. There were apparently those in the church in Thessalonica who were slighting their brethren, those who in their midst had the gift of prophecy, which means that in this way they were being indifferent to God's truth. This was quenching the spirit, for the spirit works through the word. God says they must stop this extinguishing of the fire of the spirit. The Greek, again, refers literally to the extinguishing of fire or extinguishing of things on fire. And what is pictured by this word quench is a fire upon which water is poured, or perhaps dirt or sand, something so that the burning of the fire is ended. And this word quench is appropriate because the Bible, in more than one instance, speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of fire. Fire is used symbolically to describe the Holy Spirit's work of cleansing and refining from sin. Fire brings to mind energy and power and and therefore symbolizes the spiritual life that is imparted to the believer by the Holy Spirit. Fire is also a source of light and appropriately 
pictures the Holy Spirit giving us new understanding of spiritual things. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, he appeared as tongues of fire. And fire was a visible evidence, right, of the living, powerful presence of the Spirit, bringing the church together as the body of Christ. And so if we are to understand what it means to quench the Spirit, we must understand which of his works in particular are in danger of being quenched. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is the regeneration of the sinner. In other words, the Holy Spirit is directly involved in the new birth. Uh, John 3, verses 5 and following teaches this, where it says John uh, that Jesus answered, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And as we think about this work of regeneration, this work of the new birth, we are to recognize that that is a sovereign work of God, something that he brings about in the hearts of his elect without their cooperation. We in no way cooperated with God in in this new birth, in in this uh, work of regeneration. And uh, what is clear from this passage of John, as well as the teaching of the whole of Scripture, is that this work of the Holy Spirit cannot be quenched by man. It is something that can't possibly be in view here when the apostle says, do not quench the spirit. Another work of the spirit is enlightenment. When Christ was in the upper room with his disciples, he told them in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit, he enlightens our hearts and our minds so that we can understand and believe the truth. Um, This work is a part of that initial work of regeneration. Uh, When the Holy Spirit enlightens the heart and mind of, uh, of a sinner to a saving knowledge of Christ, that work, just like regeneration, is a sovereign, supernatural work that cannot be quenched. Being enlightened unto salvation doesn't mean that You and I, as believers, automatically understand everything of God perfectly. We need to grow in our knowledge, and and in that we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the continuing work of the Spirit, and we call that work the work of sanctification. As part of that, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to you as members of Christ's body because it's his desire to see us sanctified, to see us grow stronger in our faith. He wants to see visible evidence of a growing commitment and devotion to God in how we live. As a body, he wants us to live in peace and unity and joy. And the key tool that the Holy Spirit uses in this spiritual growth is the Word of God. In fact, that's why uh, Christ, through his Holy Spirit, gave the church the gift of prophecy. The Holy Spirit gave the revelatory gift of prophecy to the early church in order that the church might better know and understand the truth. Um, A prophet of God is best described as one who speaks forth God's word. 
Christ, the word of God, promised that he would minister to his people through human instruments filled with the Spirit. And with the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, Christ was giving the church the truth that they needed through the gift of prophecy. A means of prophecy, God's people were instructed, they were edified, they were encouraged. Well, today the church no longer has the gift of prophecy. And it's because we don't need any further prophecy now that we have the written word of God, the Bible, in its completed form. But it is still the Holy Spirit's work to raise up preachers of the gospel to proclaim that word. And so the function of a pastor, the function of a prophet, are in that sense very similar. It's because the Holy Spirit still desires that the word of God be preached and taught by human instruments. It's also It also remains the the Spirit's will that this word of God be heard and received by God's people. This is how uh, the Spirit works to make you and to make me, to make the church what it should be. According to the command of verse 12, do not despise prophecies. We gather that this gift of prophecy was held in low esteem in the church there in Thessalonica. Um, The reason for this is not known. Um, but we can imagine what some of the reasons might be. Perhaps there were false prophets who gave prophecy a bad name, and so there was kind of an overreaction by some to reject all prophecy, true and false. Perhaps the believers were under the influence of the sinful flesh resistant to hearing God's word. They were refusing to listen, or they were obstructing the preacher. And perhaps this was because the preacher was saying things that were convicting, perhaps things that they didn't want to hear. They didn't want to hear about sin, but only about grace. Perhaps the people who were bringing the prophecies were not popular with their brethren. Maybe their personalities were abrasive. Whatever the reason, prophecy was so disregarded by the Christians in Thessalonica that Paul uses this rather strong word of uh, of despising he, uh, he says, do not despise prophecies. Oh, that's a rather strong word to describe their attitude with respect to this spiritual gift that Christ had given the church. By rejecting God's messengers, they were clearly quenching the Spirit. For the Spirit speaks and makes known the truth of God through the proclaiming of the Word. And if that work is despised, The work of the Spirit is being smothered. In this way, some in the church were throwing water on the Spirit's fire. Now, when we think of that gift of prophecy, we are immediately reminded that the Spirit gives many different gifts to the members of Christ's body. Some of the charismatic gifts of tongues and prophecy, healing, etc., were intended only for the early church until the canon of Scripture was completed through the work of the apostles. Nevertheless, the church continues to give, uh, to, to have members who are given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Um, we can look at lists of gifts as they are compiled from 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Um, we, some, some take these gifts as kind of a, an exhaustive list. Others take these lists of gifts as kind of sample gifts, ideas of the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit gives his people. But some of the things that are listed are serving teaching, exhorting, giving, organizing, mercy. All of these things and others are the gift and work of the Holy Spirit. And what you must understand is that these gifts are given in order that all who would receive them 
would use them to edify the body of Christ, the entire body. These gifts are meant to build up the church. You are to encourage one another. You are to um, challenge one another to greater holiness. And uh, the purpose of this work of the Spirit, this, this work of, uh, of giving gifts to the church, is to increase the unity and peace and love that are to exist among the members in the church. And so your gifts are to be exercised in the church. And when they aren't, the work of the Spirit is being quenched. This places a heavy responsibility upon you as an individual, for you are to know your spiritual gift or gifts. You must be diligently using them. To be a a member of the body of Christ means that you are to be living a life of service, doing what you can in your own unique way to promote the well-being of the church. The proper use of these spiritual gifts also places a responsibility upon the church corporately, not just individually, but corporately. This church and all others ought to be a place where members are cooperating together in the exercise of gifts. Ought to be encouraging each other in our gifts, respecting each other's gifts, enabling each of us to do our part. And yet, too often, we can discourage the exercise of the Spirit's gifts in each other. Sometimes we are jealous of other people's gifts because they they appear to be more important than ours. When the Christians in Thessalonica were despising prophecies, that means that necessarily that they were ignoring their brethren with that gift. They were refusing to listen to them. They were not allowing them to function in the church as the Spirit intended. They were quenching his work. And the despising of other people's gifts in the church implies a certain amount of disunity. It implies a lack of love and peace in the church. And Thessalonica brethren were, by the guidance of the Spirit, seeking to exercise these gifts, this this gift in particular of prophecy, and other members were throwing sand and dirt and water on them. It's a figure of them being silenced, and in so doing they were silencing the Spirit. And that is a terrible thing. That is a dangerous thing as far as the spiritual health of the church is concerned. And any time there is disunity in the church, you can be sure that the spirit is being quenched in some way because the spirit is a spirit of peace. He's he's one who brings peace and unity to the church. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Part of what can account for disunity in the church is is certainly jealousy of others, born out of self-centered desires for personal glory. But what can also account for a quenching of the spirit is just a rather simple failure to recognize the spiritual gifts of others. As an example, what can happen is that a person with the gift of exhortation comes up against a person with the gift of mercy. A person with the gift of exhortation 
would be a person with a strong personality, typically, um, who's not afraid to step on people's toes, uh, who knows the scriptures well, to be able to point out areas in, in people's lives that need improvement. The person with the gift of mercy, on the other hand, concentrates on giving empathy and comfort from God's word to those in need. And uh, when these two individuals cross paths, it's very easy for the spirit to be quenched. The person with the gift of exhortation may think that the person with the gift of mercy is rather compromising and weak when it comes to maintaining the truth, while the person with the gift of mercy may think that the exhorter is overbearing and too hard on people. And so they attempt to subvert each other in the exercise of their gifts. Um, The result is that the spirit is quenched. They only realized their differences were ordained by Christ and that each plays a necessary role in the church. They could then respect each other and work together. Let us close this evening by remembering what is really at the heart of it all. The reality is that without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in the church would not exist. You and I would be dead in our trespasses and sins. We would be without hope in the world. We would not belong to the body of Christ. We would not possess gifts. We would not have fellowship with each other. Without the reconciliation of the cross, we would be alienated from God and from each other. But the Holy Spirit comes to us and he applies to us by faith what Christ earned and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. Without Christ's work, you would never know the the spirit of Christ in your life because that is what the Spirit is. He is the presence of Christ in your heart and life now that he is the ascended Christ. And doesn't this put everything in perspective? If everything you have through the Spirit is a gift of grace, there's no reason to be jealous of other people's gifts. If you understand the grace of salvation, your perspective is not going to be about self, but you will love Christ and you will love his word. And you will love his people. Do not quench the spirit. This means paying attention to God's word as it is preached and as it is taught. This means exercising your spiritual gifts. It means respecting and helping others to exercise their gifts. And it's when we do these things that the spirit will flourish among us. And we will grow in sanctification. We will grow in knowledge and in love and in unity. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we confess that at times we have quenched the spirit, that we have not always recognized other people's gifts. We have not always encouraged the exercise of other people's gifts that you have given to the church. You have not always, uh, we have not always exercised our own gifts as we ought. And uh, Father, uh, we have not always respected your word. Um, there's a tendency for us to not want to hear uh, those things that are convicting, those things that tell us of the need to change. Um, it, it's humbling. And, uh, Father, we, we pray that we would never despise prophecies, that we would always love your word, that we would receive it, uh, that we would receive it from uh, the, the, the human instruments that you have given to us to give us your word. Um, we pray, Lord, that uh, in all that we do, that the work of your spirit in our midst would be encouraged 
and strengthened. We pray that we would grow in knowledge and love and unity, that there would be nothing that would in any way separate us or hinder us from working together as a body. Um, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, his work of, of making us holy. Um, Lord, we pray that we would never do anything that would in any way hinder that work, but rather that we would do those things that would promote that work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.